Luke 23, 32 through 43. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you are the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Author C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, so that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Over the last several weeks, the world has been shaken. It has been rocked globally, locally, individually. Our own worlds are shaken. But every one of us has felt that impact. In fact, we may be feeling that impact for quite a while. But even though we're all experiencing that impact, each of us are responding differently. Many have experienced a rise in anxiety, a rise in fear, even to the extreme of panic. How else do we explain the sudden hoarding of toilet paper? except for those irrational fears that are rising up in us that lead to panic and chaos and the hoarding of just household items. Because when we hoard something like that, it gives us a sense of control over something we have no control over. And see, when a crisis enters our lives, how we respond to it says everything about us. How we respond to crisis reveals our beliefs. It reveals our values. It reveals our character, our strengths, our weaknesses, our fears, our motivations. And it reveals the very foundation of where we put our hope. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in divine appointments. I believe that God is sovereign and always in control of every detail. And that includes the fact that we find ourselves in a global pandemic during the holiest week of the Christian faith, during the remembrance and celebration of the hope on which our entire faith rests. It isn't a coincidence. 
So the question that we need to ask ourselves in the midst of our current times, in the midst of our Holy Week remembrances and celebrations, where does our hope lie? In light of COVID-19, where have you put your faith? As you look around, as you read the news, it would appear that some of us have put our faith in the government. Others have put faith in washing our hands, wearing a mask, social distancing. Now, these are all good tools and resources to help protect us, but ultimately, they will not save us. And if your faith is in these things to save you, then these times are the megaphone to wake you up to the reality of who Jesus is and where your faith needs to be. And so we look today to one of the greatest displays of faith in all of Scripture. This Friday, we remember the death of Jesus, our Savior. But on that day, right next to him, two others died as well. Both of them, criminals, also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. One of them a criminal to the end, mocking and berating Jesus up until his very last breath. The other, most often noted for his last minute conversion, he sees Jesus for who Jesus claimed to be. And against all worldly odds, he puts his faith in the one who could save him, giving us an example to follow. We don't know much about this criminal. Some translations call him a thief. But all we really know about him was that he was a criminal, guilty of his crimes, sentenced to crucifixion. And as we enter into the story, he's now bloody, beat up, and nailed to a cross next to Jesus. From the limited information we have about him, we could assume that this criminal had no relationship with God, had probably never heard Jesus teach, never heard Jesus' parables, had never witnessed Jesus heal the sick or raise the dead. He knew nothing of Jesus' parables or miracles. This criminal most likely missed all the outward signs of Jesus' kingship. He didn't have any of the advantages of knowing who Jesus was as we do today. And yet, yet he comes to know Jesus as his Savior. It would be safe to say that our criminal was an outcast. Most likely felt like he didn't matter and that this life of malevolence was his way of proving to the world and probably to himself that he did matter. Someone please notice me. Someone please remember me. So how is it that this criminal, this outcast that no one cared about, comes to put his faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior? The great preacher Charles Spurgeon would tell you, it must have been simply 
the sight of our great Lord and Savior that convinced him. Because this criminal, while carrying his own cross, watched as Jesus, too, carried his cross, collapsed and fainted, and got back up again over and over. He watched Jesus suffer without complaining. He watched the crowd spit on Jesus. He watched the crowd hurl insults at him. And yet Jesus offered no retaliatory insults, no rebukes. Instead, Jesus looked with love on those who glared at him with hate. And then our criminal watched as Jesus' beaten body was laid upon the cross with his arms outstretched. And then, as the soldiers picked up the hammer and began driving nails into Jesus' hands and feet, he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Who was this man that would forgive his murderers, his executioners? Surely this man was not like any other. This man was different. And so the heart of our criminal starts to soften to what he sees. And his eyes get open just a little wider to see this man hanging next to him and who he really was. Jesus, the one named King of the Jews, is hanging next to him. A bloody mess. An awful sight. His arms and his feet are nailed to the cross. Ropes hold his body upright so he doesn't fall off. Every movement is agony. Every breath is torture. Beneath him and behind him, there's a mob screaming for blood. They jeer at Jesus. They curse at Jesus. They spit on Jesus. They circle around him like wild hyenas. They cheer as Jesus coughs up blood. They shout with approval when someone offers him sour wine. It's a sea that is hellish. It is brutal. It's inhuman. And yet it's in this moment, that moment, amid the blood and the gore, that this criminal comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Somehow, this criminal saw Jesus bleeding and naked on a cross, and he believed that Jesus would someday come into his kingdom. He saw Jesus at his weakest moment, and he still believed in him. Our criminal was a crucified sinner, trusting in a crucified Savior. 
No man ever looked less like a king than Jesus did that day. And yet, our criminal saw Jesus as he was, who he claimed to be. King, Lord, Savior. That's who the criminal saw. He saw through the bloody mess. Saw who Jesus really was. This man believed in Christ when he saw him literally dying the death of a felon under circumstances that were shameful. I don't imagine any of us have ever witnessed crucifixion with our own eyes. But this criminal saw it. And for him to call out to Jesus as Lord in this moment is a remarkable act of faith. What does that say about our faith? For him to ask Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even though he saw Jesus bleeding his life away, beaten nearly to death, it was an incredible act of trust. For him to commit his fate and his destiny into the hands of one who was by all appearances unable even to preserve his own life. That was a noble act of faith. What this criminal saw in the circumstances of our Savior, logically it contradicted everything. It should have gone against his confidence in Jesus as Lord and Savior. After all, that's how the second criminal responded. This is what the second criminal said. So you're the Messiah. Are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But not the first criminal. Even though he saw our Lord in extreme agony and on the verge of death, he believed in him as the king who would soon come into his kingdom. We need to remember, at that moment, when the criminal believed in Jesus, the disciples had already fled. Sure, John was lingering, and there were some women nearby, but no one was present there to bravely champion the dying Christ. Judas had sold him out. Peter had denied him, and the rest had forsaken him. And it was in that moment that this dying criminal called him Lord and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is remarkable faith. After our Lord was nailed to the cross, the first person to bear witness for him was the criminal next to him. The centurion bore witness to him, but only after he died. But this criminal, he was a lone confessor, holding on to Jesus when nobody was there to say, Amen, brother, hallelujah. 
Faith alone in Jesus is what he had. Even when his fellow criminal was mocking our crucified Savior, our criminal was a shining light in the darkness. Church, do we dare stand alone for Jesus? Would you dare to stand out amidst the uncertainty and fear of our times today? Would you declare, Jesus is my king? I only ask him to remember me when he comes into his kingdom. Do you have such faith when the world mocks Jesus, when the crowds deride him and insult him? Do you have such faith as our criminal to declare Jesus your Savior, your Lord, your King? Look at the words our criminal uses to declare his faith. In verse 41, he says, We deserve to die for our crimes. This man talking about Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. He puts his faith in the person of Christ. Our criminal, he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's done things wrong. He knows what he's done is worthy of punishment, but not Jesus. Jesus is innocent, sinless, yet crucified for us. And then in verse 42, our criminal says, Jesus, remember me. He had faith in the power of Christ. He had faith in the mercy of Christ. We need to understand this request is coming from a place of humility. Remember, our criminal is an outcast. He feels like he matters to no one. And it is from this place that he asked, Jesus, remember me. His petition is worded more like this. Let Jesus think of me. If Jesus only can just think of me, that is enough. Is it enough? Is it enough for you? If only Jesus remembers you. Or do you seek the approval of others? For our criminal, Jesus was enough. And after he says, Jesus, remember me, he says, when you come into your kingdom, you see, our criminal had faith in the kingdom of Christ. He had enough faith to place his eternal destiny on Jesus' power and mercy, the same one that was dying next to him and didn't take himself down from the cross. That is where he placed his eternal destiny, in that kingdom. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul told us how we must be saved. In Romans 10, starting in verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the very faith that we see displayed in our criminal. His faith was in Jesus. And what or who does your faith lie today? You see, just as our response to crisis reveals something about ourselves, so too does this criminal story reveal something about us. Upon hearing his story, you may feel comforted, or you may feel accused, maybe indignant. See, our comfort comes from understanding and recognizing that we are the criminals on the cross next to Jesus. Further comfort comes when we recognize that we've responded to Jesus like the first criminal, with confession, with humility, with faith, so that we too are saved by the blood of Jesus. But the accusation and the indignation comes from our inability to see ourselves in the criminal story. Our indignation comes in when we hear their story and we think, well, I'm not that bad. I wouldn't be on the cross next to Jesus because I'm not that bad. That's not what scripture says. See, the criminal story is our story. The details may be different, but we are the sinners that Jesus died on the cross for. Romans 3 tells us that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did it through Christ Jesus. See, followers of Christ, we're not doomed to a life of fear, a life of hopelessness. We're not doomed to mediocrity, trepidation, doubt. We're called to a life that's vibrant and passionate, always pointing to the one who can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Even though there was no hope of getting off that cross for our criminal, only the first criminal had faith in Jesus. Only the first criminal saw him as Lord and Savior. It's proof to us that our faith is not dependent on our circumstances, but simply on our belief that God is sovereign and that he uses all things, all circumstances to draw him closer to us, to mold us, 
to shape us, to grow our faith. See, the second criminal was looking to Jesus for the blessing. His faith was dependent on what Jesus could do, what Jesus would do for him. But the first criminal, the one that was saved, recognized his own depravity before a holy, holy God. He recognized that even in his dire circumstances, Jesus was the one in control. The only blessing that mattered to the first criminal was that Jesus remembered him. How many of us can say that the only thing that matters in our faith is that Jesus remembers us? As long as we live in this flesh, as long as we live in this world, there will always be that temptation to have Jesus plus something else. There is always a temptation to want more from our faith than simply putting Jesus in a place of authority and lordship. So what are you doing with Jesus? Because the same Jesus who hung from that cross 2,000 years ago with his arms outstretched as an offering to each of us to say, you matter to me. He still stands before us, resurrected, with arms outstretched in love, offering us peace over fear, hope over despair, Confidence and assurance over doubt and uncertainty. Most importantly, offering us life over death. And so the question for us today is how do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to his gift of mercy and grace? Do you respond like the second criminal? Demanding that God prove to you who he is? Demand that he save you because you think you deserve it? Do we reject his gift because we want things our way? The second criminal's request was, get me down from here. How often do we say, fix my problem, God? God, make it go away. This hurts too much, God. I don't like it. Fix it. Save me, Lord, but stay out of my life. It's my life, but I need you to save me. That's not saving faith. That's not what the first criminal had. The first criminal responded to Jesus with humility. Do you recognize your own sin? Have you confessed that Jesus is indeed your Lord and your Savior? King over this world. King over your life in this world and in the next. Our first criminal's only request of Jesus, remember me. Is it enough that the creator of the universe, the one who shed his blood for you, 
bends down to hear your prayers, says you matter, and writes your name in his book of life. Is that enough? Is it enough that he remembers you? Where does your faith lie? In uncertain times, in in chaotic and panic times, where is your faith? Is it in the blessings of God? Is it for God to take it all away? Or is Jesus enough? Is your faith in Jesus himself as Lord and Savior? Or in the gifts that you want him to bring you? Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you that you remember us, that you love us so much that you sent your only son to die a brutal death, take our sin upon himself. Lord, there is no love greater Lord, there are no words. There there are no words. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your, your love, your mercy, your grace. Lord, as we leave this place, as you remember us, Help us to shine that light that others will see that you remember them too. You haven't left them. You walk with them, that you walk with each of us. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. I'll never be the same 